episode of Claw's Corner. Today's episode features members of the four-piece vocal-oriented rock band, The Lonely Ones. After touring constantly and making a name for themselves with the band Boba Flex, they decided to change their name to The Lonely Ones after founder and vocalist Sean McCoy decided to step away from the band. Here to talk about that and much, much more are guitarist and vocalist Marty McCoy and bass and vocalist Jimmy Tallon. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Jimmy, for being on the show. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. I, so I was telling you off the air, I want to thank Shauna because she is the best. She reached out to me. She goes, Rich, I have a band for you. I'd love for you to interview them. And I am so glad that you, you two are on the show because I listen to the music. I love the music. And you have some great stories, which we're going to talk about. So well, let's get right into it. All right. Let's do Thanks, it. Man. All right, so Marty, I want to start with you. Okay. Even before the music, I found something very, very interesting. You are a direct descendant of the famous McCoy's, of the famous Hatfield McCoy's feud. Tell me about that. Um, it's, so like, we don't really give a shit anymore. If that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it definitely does. But I just thought, I found it interesting. Because uh, I, it, it is interesting. And, and like, you wouldn't believe how many times I've been asked about it. And it's yeah, like, I figured. I, I don't hate the Hatfields anymore. <laughs> I never did, you know what I mean? I never did like, everybody wants me to and like I, I just don't and they don't hate me anymore i don't think either so all right well i'm glad that the feud has finally been settled i appreciate that it's, it's boring as it is we're all good man one more thing before we even get into the music i want to talk about this because i found this interesting you guys are from uh point pleasant west virginia is that correct yeah absolutely marty is yeah marty Two okay. us. yeah tommy yeah. and i are. yeah well that's also home of the famous mothman it is. He, he is very famous. Yes. And I'm guessing that you'd have no experiences with the Mothman yourself. Oh, several. No, several. You, you would be wrong, sir. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm glad I'm wrong. I like to be wrong. Constantly. Like, if, if you grew up there in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, you, I mean, you know about it. You saw it. You, there's all kind of crazy shit happened back there. Um, that's why I moved to Columbus, Ohio, because I was, you know, kind of tired of the nightly visions and the, uh, the huge catastrophes. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you made it safely <laughs> well i joined a band and i traded in different catastrophes but, but this i'm sure these are much more fun than the uh, mothman catastrophes uh sometimes but nightly yes well now let's get on to the music because i want to talk about the lonely ones are they a continuation of your past band Bobaflex? i don't think so jimmy do you no no it's it's definitely two separate bands um you know, to give you the real, real uh, abridged version, Boba Flex still exists, and it is us plus Marty's brother, Sean. Uh, this band is a separate, an entirely separate entity, different music, different songs, different art style, different, you know, writing and all that. Um, and this is like our more active touring, you know, kind of uh, endeavor band, I guess. This is this is priority now. Um, Definitely. As far as Bobaflex goes, it was one of the best times of our lives. We had a great time. We toured the country. We did all kinds of cool stuff. Um, we made a lot of mistakes, which we'll never do again. And we did a lot of things well, which we'll crank up to 11. But um, definitely, these are two separate bands. Um, we're still doing Bobaflex things here and there, like, you know, recording songs and, and doing like shows like uh, two or three times a year. We haven't done that yet, but that's our plan to do two or three shows a year. But for sure, this is the band that we're going to go hit the road with and do the whole priority thing. Right now, it's the Lonely Ones 24-7. Now, with Boba Flex, if you play two or three shows, will Sean be a part of it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, that's that's our rule of thumb. Is yeah. If Sean is there, it's Boba Flex. If he's not, it's the Lonely Ones. And it's right. an entirely that's different it, Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's perfect. But why the name the Lonely Ones? Martin? This, this shit is lonely as hell, bro. <laughs> <laughs> It's lonely on the road. Well, being a, being a musician, like, the, you know, I'm not in Corner, I'm not in Breaking Benjamin or, or you know, yeah. um, bands like that where it's like you can afford to take your family out on the road or you can afford to, you know, fly people out and, or fly back home, that kind of stuff. So it's like, I, I would I would say that being in a band is like being in a sexy construction company. <laughs> like, you have to work to make money. Um yeah. And unfortunately, the more you work, the more you become, you know, you're out there on the road. And 
and friends and family and people that are at home, they, after a while, they start to get sick of that shit. And I don't blame them. Um, but at some point in time, it's like you pick one or the other and it's a, it's a hard choice, but you know, where we're rocking. Definitely. Because now you can't really make money from records or releases. You have to make money being on tour, playing in front of the people, selling t-shirts, doing whatever you can to get. So you can't just come out with a platinum record and rest in your laurels for a little while. Yeah, I, I don't even know what platinum looks like. I keep hearing <laughs> about it. I think it's silver colored, but I've never seen platinum. You're one of the few people that has interviewed us that knows that, that it all comes from touring these days. You know, probably yeah. what, the last 15, 20 years, it's been, you know, that was when the big transition from, you know, a sales-led industry to a live performance-led industry kind of happened. Yeah, well, when, when people stopped buying records, that was... That was it. That was it. The yeah. whole thing changed. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with that. It just, you know, got to get out on the road. Got to look people in the face, shake their hands, and play live rock and roll through big PA systems to get their attention. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's there's good and bad to the streaming. The good part is maybe you get your name out to more people than would normally not know who you are. The bad part is, is you're not making any money from it. So, but hopefully the people that, like me, I'm one of the people that heard you, and I cannot wait until you're somewhere close that I can see you live. So that, so hopefully there's more people like me that say, you know what, I love this band. I didn't buy the album, I'm streaming it, but I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to buy their t-shirt and support them. That's, thank you. I will tell you Yeah, I will tell you this, universally the bad part is always not making any money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's always some aspect where you're not making money from this, so you try to make it up, like you said, t-shirt sales. That's that's the most like direct kind of hand to mouth way that we make our money. It's the most instantaneous. It takes the le the least amount of prep work, I would say. Uh, most bang for your buck is is still a good old fashioned T-shirt sales. Yeah, I have to say for my viewers, you have the coolest T-shirts. I love the design. I love the picture. So I, I recommend check them out. We're going to go through where you can reach out to you and Thank where's you. the best place to find, get your merchandise and uh, promo materials. Hang on uh, one second. I got to let, let my cat out of the room. He's All right, Jim, I have a question for you then while he's doing that. Yeah. Since Let's 2020, go. you guys have released singles such as The Way Out, Getting High, Dying All Night Long. Now, is this the way of the band adapting to how fans get their music now by releasing singles instead of a full yeah. album? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, you know, Marty and I are both, uh, well, everybody in the band are really kind of, we have this old school mentality where in my dream world, I would be, you know, locked up in a mansion in the south of France somewhere making, you know, making an album once a year. That's a Rolling Stones reference, what that was. Uh, but, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's just not a feasible game plan, especially for a newer band like us, because, you know, you put out an album, what what else is there? If that album happens to not hit, your career's basically over or after one or two of those. Um, yeah. And as a new band, we, yeah, we don't have the 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 uh, industry cachet to, to roll on that and to, you know, to flop an album out. So it really is more of a rapid fire singles industry as far as we're viewing it. And I think a lot of people kind of agree with us in the industry is that, you know, it's, it's better now at least to be putting out you know five singles a year six singles a year whatever than to really you know bet it all on black to use a, a played out term yeah. uh, well and put out an yeah. album every two years i would also say the, the same thing about the fans the fans are doing the same thing but like if you don't put out a single every two months they'll forget about your ass and yeah and not disrespecting the fans that's just how the way the world works it's like yeah. I, I don't remember what i looked at on facebook 15 minutes ago um so it's like if you if you're not constantly pounding me in the head like oh that's kind of that snippet sounds cool that snippet sounds cool it's like you gotta you know just bury your head and you just gotta keep hitting people over the head with with new music for them to finally catch on and, and you know I would say I do the same thing. I, I, I hate the fact that the album's gone, but I haven't bought an album in, you know, 10 years. So I'm part of the problem. 
and that's just the way it works. It's like you just put out singles to people, just look at you, look at you, look at you. And then finally, hopefully one day they're like, hit the play button and listen to you. No, I agree with you because I'm the same way. I'm 53 years old, but I used to love going to the store, buying an album, listening to the deep cuts. Now there's so much information being thrown at us all at once. Like you said, if you don't throw something out every two months or so, they're like, oh, I forgot all about them. So you have to keep them, keep your name fresh in their mind. So I love the fact that you're doing that because unfortunately with all this social media, I think we're becoming an ADD nation where everybody's just like, I got 30 seconds to do this. That's it. I don't have any more time. I think we are. Now go ahead. We have definitely become an ADHD nation. It's now we're just you know we're learning to feed the feed the uh, the attention deficit disorder kids. No, it's a, that's what I love about your attitude because instead of fighting it, you're like it's not going to change. Let's just go with the flow and we'll cater to them. So I, I love the fact that you're doing what you do instead of saying nope. This is how it used to be done. This is how we're going to continue to do it. Like no. Unfortunately, things are changing and we're going to go with the flow and this is how we're going to. So I love the fact that you are doing that. And I think it's a great idea. Every two months or so, put a new single and they're like, yeah, this is great. Instead of coming out with one album every year and then, oh, yeah, they were good. Oh, they're still around. So that, that's a great idea. The other yeah, problem is. I still, no, go ahead. Sorry. Don't get us wrong. We want to fight against it. It's just. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. yeah. We're yeah, stubborn pricks for sure. Right. But. It feels like 300. You got to, you know, we're outnumbered, I guess. I, we would love so you got to uh, utilize the landscape. Yeah, we would love to put together a you know, two hour um, concept record. Um, it just just ain't, it ain't the biz no more. Well, that's yeah. why I love that story with Rush, because they were just about to give it up. I'm sure you know the story. And they said, you know what? The record company is going to drop them. So they never came out with a single. And they said, well, let's just go out in a blaze of glory. Let's just make something that we want to hear and they came out with 2112 and it hit the audience loved it and then that propelled them into success but i know what you mean it's like that's a completely different world from back when they did that the other problem is i used to be in radio i was a disc jockey for a long time and i think radio is drastically changed to put it uh kindly because now it's way more corporate than it used to be there's no more local djs everything's pre-recorded you have somebody board teching in Connecticut and the, it's a station in California that's playing and they're only playing the big names. That must be a problem too. When you go from local town to town to get, the, used to be the bands go to the local town, they're interviewed by the local morning crew and you go on there and introduce yourself. It's more of a, you know, homegrown station. Now that does not exist anymore for the most part. Well, I would say it's the same concept. It's like they had to, they had to adapt and overcome and, and move for the changing times you know like yeah. there used to be a lot of lamp oil salesmen that ruled the world and then when electricity came out do you say I, i'm not going with electricity i'm going with this lamp so yeah. it's like i mean that's just the way it works and as much as it hurts as much as you have to change it that's the other thing too the the music industry is so changes so fast as soon as you got a foothold you're like i think i figured this out boom it's off to something new so it's it's definitely interesting but i think that good songs and and live shows will, will always be i mean i hope so i hope live shows don't go out of style if they do i'm gonna go work at amazon and you know what i mean worry about the 401k and that kind of thing so i don't know well i can tell you i don't think live shows are going out because when covid hit i, I think you know what covid might have been a good thing for one reason i think made people appreciate going to live shows because i remember people say oh, i'll go next time i'll go next time then COVID hit and people were stuck inside for a year and a half or so now every time i go see a live show bands that normally didn't have that big of a crowd the place is packed you can't move everybody's just happy to be out again so i think maybe that's the one positive thing that came from the pandemic where people appreciate going to a show going to see something live being entertained so i yeah. really don't see that happening where live shows are a thing of the past but I'll, I'll, I'll be joining you at Amazon if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I, I never want to uh, roll the dice and find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you're correct. I think as soon as you can download a show, then we'll just quit. We'll be over. We'll, well, we'll, we'll make the tracks in our bedroom and then and see what happens after that. Yeah. Hopefully you don't have to worry about that for a long, long time. Now, with Boba Flex, you were known for covers of Sounds of Silence. Uh, Wished You Were Here by Pink Floyd also. 
but your latest cover, I gotta say this, I love this. It's done by the Lonely Ones. It's definitely taking cover songs to a whole new level. I wanna talk about your cover of Flash by Queen. All right, yes, Jimmy, take off on it, buddy. That was yours, that was Jimmy's idea. Jimmy, uh, great idea. I love that song, I, I love the way you do uh, it. I think the, the, the story behind it's kind of, is, is funny because uh, Marty and I butted heads on uh, on what we should do for a cover because we got invited by Sweetwater, the uh, the music company. They have a beautiful studio there. We got invited to do a cover for a charity album for them. I don't and, even remember, Jimmy. Jimmy, I don't even remember what I suggested to do. Uh, I don't know if you made it as far as coming up with your own suggestion before I started arguing with you about whether it should or shouldn't be Flash. I think that was the first idea. You said, give me a sec. I want to think of something else. I said, no. It should be this. Hell, he, he said, let's do Flash. I was like, are you out of your mind? Um, <laughs> and, just, it's craziest suggestion ever. And he would go, it was like, I was actually, I think I was home for Christmas, maybe. Like back at my family's was pacing around, talking what? to Marty. He would, he would hang up. I'd call him back, try to convince him some more. And finally, he, uh, he went, all right, man, you've sold me. I'm in. You know, let's do it. And as I think, I think it was more that, like I think it was more like fuck it. All right, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was probably a mix of the two. All right, yeah, yeah, fuck it then. Um, and finally, when he he caved, I guess would be a good word for it. Uh, I got off the phone and had this moment of like, oh fuck! I never expected anybody to agree to this. What the fuck are we gonna do? I was only joking. I, yeah, oh, that's funny. I, I really believed it. Now and then, of course, it was a thing where it was like, now it's on my head if it's yeah, not yeah. great. Uh, it's my fault because I begged and pleaded and dragged my heels with everybody to try to make this cover. And funny. Uh, so I, I took it on myself like a total weirdo. This is not how I work ever. I had a notebook and wrote everybody's parts, like notes down paper, taking up pages of this notebook. And all right, we'll do this. And then we'll cut one measure of this like a like a composer and I'm not that good at it it was if you'd seen it you'd think I was losing my mind um and spent like a month trying to figure that out and finally we pieced it up little by little cut a little bit of fat here cut some fat there added this etc cetera, etc cetera. and we ended up having it so prepared that we did the whole thing in Marty it was like a total of 18 hours in the studio or 16 hours in the studio now, did, now, what made you decide to want to do Flash out of all the Queen songs, out of all the cover songs you could have done? I mean, like I mentioned before, Bubble Flash, you did Simon and Garfunkel, you did Pink Floyd. Queen has so many great songs and Flash is one of them, but I've never heard a band say, out of all the Queen catalog, let's do Flash. Well, our, like our whole catalog for the most part, um, and you know, I'll give Marty credit for this, uh, our whole catalog for the most part is a pretty big downer thematically. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of heavy themes. So I, I think it, I was like, what the so, hell do you mean by that? No, you're right. You're right. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and so maybe, maybe it was internally us all going, uh, maybe we should have some cartoonishly like over the top positive song just to blend in especially with it. During, yeah. Especially during the pandemic is like, everybody needs a hero and Flash Gordon is the greatest hero of all time. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I'm just going sticking with that. But I also think that, like, when we were coming out, the like, we're a new band. We're getting ready to do something. We have to do a cover because everyone's asking us, what cover are you going to do? What cover are you going to do? So we wanted to let everybody know that we weren't messing around and that we want to do this cover where it's like every band was doing a cover. It was like every 15 seconds there's a new cover coming out. And it's like, let's do one that, that stops all the bullshit. I don't mean that disrespect to anybody else, but let's do something where people's heads whip around and goes, these guys are playing for keeps. This is a serious band. And that was the one. And, it, and I felt like when Jimmy was pushing it, like it was scary. I was like, if, if we don't do this right, we'll get laughed out of town. If we do it right, everybody will flip their shit. Um, and we, once we got the music down, which was very hard to do because it's a, uh, a movie soundtrack. Yeah, it's a movie soundtrack. So the tempos are moving everywhere, and it's all this feel thing. Once we got that down and, and started doing the acapella vocals, it was like, okay, we might be able to do this. Um, 
And then once we got in the studio and hit it a couple of times, it's like, shit, this might turn out nice. And then after all that happened, we had this little joke where it's like, what if Brian May heard it? And he called us up and said, we did a great job. And then he did. <laughs> it was crazy. I want to talk yeah, about that because the great Shauna O'Donnell, who I mentioned off the air, she's the one to help me with, get this interview. And I really do appreciate you, Shauna, for everything you've done for me and also for the band. She is the one that reached out and got got that song to Brian May. She did. She yeah, that was uh, that was her work. Uh, and one of the things I can do it's track somebody down and, and get them to listen to something. Oh, yeah. Not something, just us. He's real yeah, good at yeah. our stuff. Yeah. And then her and Sam Jones like talked yeah. and Flash Gordon himself was like, we met him. Like he was like two miles from my house. Me and Jimmy went down and hung out with him and he was the coolest dude in the world. And he was like, me and Shauna sent this song. He said Shauna and I, because he's very uh, educated. He said Shauna <laughs> and I sent this song off to Brian May. And, and, and we were like, okay, we're just waiting. It was like, no way he's going to hit us back. And he did, and it was like the coolest morning in my life. I woke up, and Jimmy and Sean, everybody's calling me like, "Hey, Brian May just sent this message." And I was like, "No way!" It was it was hilarious. It was the latest Marty because Marty and I are the two like early risers in the band, and so normally if anything happens at you know seven or eight in the morning, he and I are the ones talking about it. And that was the only time that I can remember that he and nobody else in the band woke up until like eleven in the morning. That was new, depressed. something like that. So I was just bouncing around with nobody to talk about with it. I was fighting depression. It was during the pandemic. It was a bad time. I slept <laughs> till 11. <laughs> so what, what did Brian May actually say? He said, Martin McCoy, you are the greatest. And you also look younger than we thought you were. And your muscles are scary. It's not like that. He doesn't mince words, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He, he didn't say anything up. about the song, just that. <laughs> yeah, he was so honest. And then he said, and the song's all right. <laughs> well, thank he, you, said, Brian. He, said that, he said the song was he's like magnificent version i can, can't do it in his accent but it's like the song's magnificent and then he we, we knew that he actually listened to it because he said and the turn around on the hero and all that stuff was great so it was it was wild it was a good morning yeah that would be a great morning i would never get up late again after that just i would never want to miss anything <laughs> never, never have <laughs> well, we were talking a little bit about the pandemic and, and so obviously as a band that makes their living touring, what did you do to keep busy during COVID? Did any of you have to get day jobs? Oh yeah, several day jobs, yep. We got day jobs and then we wrote and wrote and wrote and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And like, we stayed away from everybody else, but we, you know, together we were in the room, but we made sure that we weren't, I mean, as best we could, uh, kept everybody out of danger. But, you know, we all got tested and, and once we got tested, we just kept writing, writing, writing. And, and um, I mean, I got, how many jobs did you get, Jimmy? I got like four jobs during the pandemic. I don't think I had any jobs. Yeah, Thanks. you did, didn't you? Did I? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Am, Amwell, all that stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did do Amwell. I got fired from that pretty quick. <laughs> now we work in the warehouses and stuff. We did a bunch of stuff. But yeah, glad that you too. were able to go. I guess I blotted you know, that out. That's yeah. okay. It's, it's way more cooler. It's, it's way more rock and roll to say we did not work during the pandemic. It's way more rock and roll to say, I got fired from my job, and I don't even remember it. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea why I got fired. I don't think he's lying. <laughs> I think he's telling the truth about that. Uh, no, yeah, that is true. I, I was uh, let go. Well, you know what? I'm glad I'm those days are behind you. You're back to rocking and rolling. Yeah. Yes, sir. Now, did being locked down for so long influence the music at all? Yeah, absolutely. Was, uh, if you listen to the lyrics, they're all very sad. They're all very depressed. It's a weird thing to get. Um, and we're lucky. So so by no means do I think I had it the worst. Um, but it, it, it's definitely a weird thing for everyone to take away. Once the Tiger King was gone, what did we have left? And, and everybody was very, you know, People lost family members, people lost, you know, careers, people lost businesses, people lost, it was, it was bad. And that's all you saw all day on the TV was, you know, just the stacks falling, falling, falling. And, and you thought it was going to be over in two weeks. And then you thought it was going to be over in a month. And, you know, all of a sudden a year and a half, you raise your head out of the, out of the cave and, and, and things are devastating. And so it was, 
it was depressing. It was rough, um, but I'm lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. Good, glad. Yeah. Now, actually, I want to talk about that because I just saw a recent post on your Facebook and you talked about how your music is a little dark sometimes. You mentioned the song, The Way Out. You said that if you were brave enough to deal with the extremely heavy subject matter, let's talk about that song. Yeah, it's a it's very heavy subject matter. It's about um, about two people that have, you know, suicidal ideations um, that don't want to be here anymore. And then they met each other and they decided together that let's both get out of here and we'll meet each other on the other side. And it's a dark story, but it's also very romantic and, and it's a love story. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that rates in the Danielle Steele um, romance novels, but Shakespeare is pretty high up. That's close. Yeah, I was going to say Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's very Romeo and Juliet-ish, um, but modern take on, you know, the world going to shit. And I don't believe the world's going to shit. I believe we're in a rough place right now, but I believe human beings can, can lift each other up and, and we'll get back out of this. But there for a minute, we all hated each other and we all blamed each other for everything. And it, was, it was a dark time. And I think that, the, like you said earlier, the pandemic definitely um, moved those songs in a, in a direction that, good or bad, that's where it went. What are some of the other subjects that you write about in your music? Uh, basically the pandemic and everything. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll used to turn me on when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm older, it's like the the dark side of the of life and the, the stories, those kind of stories and pers very personal stories. That's what turns me on now. So that's when, I mean, I don't write all the lyrics, but like when I write them, it's it's very much personal and, and usually about some bad shit going down. Jimmy, do you write some of the lyrics as well? Uh a lot less than Marty. A couple here and there. Uh, you have some singers there. You have some pretty good singers there. Yeah. yeah. I was going to mention that because I love this band because there's so many great, it's not just one singer in the band. There's so many great singers in one band. and it, 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 I love it. it. You guys are very melodic, as I mentioned in the intro, and it's just uh, vocal oriented. So I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the band, and I want all my viewers to check them out if you haven't heard of them already. Thanks, Thank man. you. Well, if you, that, can't, if you can't but, sing, you can't, if you can't sing, you can't be in the band. Okay, it's, uh, well, it's important. I guess I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw up my audition tape then. <laughs> Come on, well listen. <laughs> All right, well, during my research, I heard Jimmy say something that I completely agree with. You were talking about that many bands they don't even think about this. You invested a lot of money to ensure that the band had the best light show. Most people say, oh, well, who cares about that as long as we're a good band. I love the fact that not only do you want to be the best band, but you also want to put on a great show. Because I always say that to people. I said, I don't really care about if I want to just hear a band play well, I can stay home and listen to the CD or watch the DVD or whatever it is. I love to go and have an experience, see a great show. And you're, the band's all about that as well. Yeah, you know, we... Uh we've done i mean i you know i can't speak for marty but i know i've done close to a thousand concerts or played a you know close to a thousand concerts in my life from you know little pool halls all the way up to giant festivals and all the way back up and down again and there's you know you can whether people are conscious of it or not there's a much different uh reaction that they get their energy comes off different when the light show is is more like a concert than you know, okay, I'm playing at the karaoke bar. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm, we're all, you know, obsessive when it comes to, like you said, being a good band, playing tight, singing well, all that. But speaking only for myself, I really, I was always more interested in the performer part of it. You know, I didn't, I didn't like uh, the perfect jazz players and the, you know, I'm not going to, you know, tear anybody down, but the, the shredder guitar players that stood still and looked at their hands. I liked Jimmy Page, Slash, and Joe Perry, guys like that, that made it a show. You know, they, they embodied something on stage. And that, you know, a mixture of that and the light show, that to me is, is really the, almost the priority over the, the sound of it. Because people are, are going to remember what they saw, I think, more than what they heard. 
you know, obviously, like I said, we obsess over the sound too, but if you don't look good doing it, whether that's lights or your clothes or any combination, it, you know, you're just going to blend in with every other mediocre guy who's a great guitar player. I would agree. I think, um, I think it's a mixture of both. I think you got to nail the songs to the wall and then, and that comes from re repetition, rehearsal and stuff. It's like get the songs, nail them to the wall, then jump off the thing. Um, and so I, I would agree with Jimmy. I think it's a, it's a double mixture and, and you better have it all. Um, yeah. And you better have cool clothes too. You, you kind of got to play like amateur psychologist, uh, because, you know, you're, you're not really, you got to predict how people are going to feel about something or, you know, are they going to like this or is this song going to be too fast or, you know, are they going to get bored here? You got to learn all the tricks of the trade of, you know, how to force somebody to be entertained because it's not yeah. as simple as just being good. Yeah, because I, I thought that too. I was like, fuck it, we'll just play our songs. And that works sometimes, sometimes it don't. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, oh, we'll just do what we do and, and no one tells us what to do. And it's like, done that a couple times. It's like, well, that crowd didn't give a flying yeah. shit about our vision. Yeah. yeah. But I've heard, uh, I interviewed a musician. He said it perfectly. He said, a lot of people hear with their eyes. Meaning exactly. They're watching the show. And if they're just like you said, the shredders, just staring at their guitar. Yeah, they sound great, but I'm like, oh, okay, uh, what time is it? I like to see the energy and I can care less if you make a mistake or two. I think it just makes you more human and makes you more relatable to the audience. Like, yeah, right. And I enjoy that. So that's, that's definitely another thing that I respect about the band. Not only are you great musically, but you also know the importance of putting on a good show for the people. Exactly. I think you should do a backflip while nailing every note to the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> I'll give you a hundred dollars right now if you can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need the hundred bucks. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> well, I want to talk about Lashley before we go on to that, because I, from what I saw, you're going to be playing, going on tour pretty soon. Well, only yep. once. Thursday, day after tomorrow. Thursday. All right. So, uh, where, where are you going to be touring? Uh, this is all going to be Upper Midwest stuff to start. Um, mostly Ohio, Michigan. Uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, I believe it's all around there. Um, and then from there, the last week of the month, we're going to be heading down south to the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so yeah, it'll be like, uh, you know, a couple of Tennessee shows, one in Nashville, Huntsville, Alabama, uh, then a couple shows down closer to the Gulf in Mississippi. Um, and then after that, we play some more in Wisconsin. Right now we're, you know, we're really focusing heavy on the eastern half or third of the country. I can't wait, Jimmy, for it to be warm. Are you excited? Oh, my God. It's almost yeah. there. I feel like we're... Rich, where are you at? Where, where are you living at? What's the weather Maybe. like there? Right now, today was 60 degrees with wind, so it felt like it was 45 degrees. I am a 95-degree, hazy, hot, and humid type of person, so I love the heat. Humidity me doesn't too. bother me. So I will take the heat any day, and right now I'm in Connecticut, and it's, it's getting there, but it's not quite how I like it. Yeah. Ohio, I know. Yeah. Ohio is like cold and rainy for the next month. Um, yeah, I, lo I love Ohio, but I'm ready to go down south and we're so ready for it. I can't wait oh, till yeah. the, my arms get burned up and, and all my, my shirts, favorite. all my sleeves blow off my shirts. <laughs> well, hopefully, when it gets warmer <laughs> out in the Northeast, you can come up here and play. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Definitely love to see you. Uh, you're also playing a show I want to talk about. It's called the Northwoods Rock Rally, which is August 18th or 20th. Let's talk about that. Uh, it's a good show. Like it's it, that festival has grown and grown and grown. Um, I remember hearing about it when it first started. I think it was like I don't remember. It was, I remember it's really small and and um, but every year it's gotten bigger and bigger. And, and the festivals are. I love playing every show. Don't get me wrong. I love headlining. I love opening. I love doing all that stuff. Um, but the festivals are something special. You know, there's ten thousand, twenty thousand people. And they've never heard you before, or you know. 200 people know who you are and they start cheering that's infectious through that crowd and it spreads and um and then you get to meet it's like a big family reunion you know one guy that you met you know maybe teching for Avenged sevenfold is you know they're off the road and now he's working for this guy so it's like backstage is this big family reunion it's so much fun i, I love the festivals I, I can't wait to get back on that circuit um 
during the pandemic, all those festivals got postponed and postponed and postponed. So the ones that are going on now, we weren't even a band yet. Um, so we've kind of missed some of them, but next year, I think we're going to be on a lot of festivals and I'm really excited about that. Who are some of the, some of the bigger bands you played with? Oh my God. Mudbane, Megadeth, uh, never Metallica, <laughs> um, Not yet. Kid Rock, like Corn. Um, I mean, just almost everybody, like, like as far as being in Bogleflex and the Lonely Ones, the Lonely Ones just started. Um, so we've got some good shows under our belt, Nonpoint and Seven Dust and things like that. But um, at Bogleflex, we played with everybody. It was the coolest thing ever. I looked over one time and, and there's Dave Mustaine watching us play and there's Corey Taylor watching us play. And we had had a really good run and it was, I, there's like one day I'll lay on my deathbed and be like, ah, yeah, it's a good one. Let's go. We can go to sleep now forever. <laughs> we had a good run. It was awesome. So I, I would say the biggest band we ever played with, I don't, it's hard to say. You just mentioned some big ones. That's very, very impressive. So how long was Boba Flex together? 20 years. I was eight when it started. <laughs> Just boy. Such, such a youngin' with your uh, little uh, play guitar and yeah. plastic drums. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a reach. <laughs> now look at you. <laughs> a little Fisher Price, yeah. I love it. Jimmy, you joined, you joined Boba Flex. Do you remember you're how old? 19, 20? 20, uh, just 21. 21, yep. Yep. Marty and I were inseparable best friends, though, before that, when I was 19. Yep. <laughs> Immediately were like that, even before I was in the band. Yeah, so I was like, we should be in a band. If anything ever happens, we should be in a band together. And, and lo and behold, a bunch of stuff happened, and here we are. Were you in two separate bands and then decided to uh, join together? Marty actually managed the first band I was ever in um, when I was a teenager. Uh, it was, you know, we were in our little wannabe Guns N' Roses phase. And uh, they, bro they broke up. That wasn't my fault. No, yeah, it was not. It was not Martin's fault. Uh, partially my fault. Really. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was how Marty and I met was he was managing. Uh, he was managing this band that I joined um, and we were all, you know, young, young kids and uh, just kind of we just hit it off and became friends outside the context of that band and that band split up you know as every every young kid band does and he and i just kept in touch and probably what yeah about two years later uh there ended up being a spot in bobaplex that needed filled and i was the yeah, guy that, that band was good too man that was a good really yeah. good yeah yeah um, jimmy moved when i met jimmy he moved out to columbus ohio to join that band and they already had a bass player um, so I thought that was a ballsy move. He just, he lived in his car to be in that band and they didn't know that they needed him yet. And he was just forced his way in. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. It was like, if, you know, that's the guy you want in your band. Um, and I, it was a great band. And, and then when everything, you know, our bass player left in Boba Flex, I was like, let's get this guy. And everyone's like, let's have tryouts. So I secretly told Jimmy when his tryout was and, and we, talk back and forth and learn the songs together so jimmy just come in and smashed everybody under the table and i was like he's got the gig i was like it's weird man he, he was born for it but they didn't know that i was secretly crazy how prepared he was yeah hanging out <laughs> it was like we hung out every day and played the yeah. songs together we were playing the songs together and he just come and just wow knocked everyone's head off um so yeah it was one of those kind of things and then once you know, Bogleflex came to an end. It was just a natural progression. It's like, hey, we like playing music together. Let's just keep continue doing this. Glad that happened then. Um, what's the origin of the name Bogleflex? Uh, Star Wars, Boba Fett. But we changed one letter, said that we wouldn't get sued yeah. by Lucasfilms. And it was this <laughs> thing that we said, and like we were, you know, it started back in I think two, 1998 or something like that. And it was this fun little band that we had and we had to um, come up with a name. So my brother said it and put it on the flyer. I was like, yeah, whatever. And handed out these flyers and, and tons of people showed up and they really liked it. So it just stuck. Um, it's an awful name. I wish we had a way called a name like Kiss or Poison or something like that. But, but uh, it stuck and, and it was fun. It was one of the greatest times of my life. Definitely um, a memorable name. <laughs> Both yeah, 
yeah, one way or the other. Some people go, who is that? I hate that name. And some people like, I love the name. So you just never know. I love it. So I, I mean, before I knew what it was, I felt like, you know, a Star Wars character going to the gym. That's what I always <laughs> correlated it with. So right there. There was some smart psychology to it because it kind of tricked people into thinking they'd heard of us before yeah. they had. So they, oh, you know, it kind of did, oh, I think I've heard of those guys. I'm going to check them out because you either heard of Bo Flex or Boba Fett. And I, there are people that go, I've definitely heard of you guys. I knew they hadn't heard of us, but it would get them to check us out. I don't know who you guys are. I don't think you have. I don't, I don't think you do, but I'll let you think you do. So you buy a CD. <laughs> and now you did hear of us. Now you like us. So it worked out very well for you. I, I like that marketing. <laughs> you it guys, it was, it was a wonderful time in my life, and I miss it very much. And I'm very happy that that happened. Yeah. Well, now it's just uh, moving on to the next phase, which is going to be even better. I can tell. Yes, sir. You guys must have some great road stories. I do want to talk about one in particular. <laughs> It's the time your RV hit what you thought was a coyote. Yeah, it was a, it was a person. It was a, it we was a I don't mean to laugh at that, but it's, it's, let's talk about that story because there are some humorous parts to it. But There was a drunk dude in the road and we were hauling ass down the highway. I think we were going to, uh, what was it? Let me cut you off, Marty. I've been in the band for like five days at this point. Just so, just yeah, so. no, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And we were asleep. I was um, asleep on the couch because we didn't have enough beds at that point. We were heading to the biggest show you'd ever played in your life. Yeah. Yep. With, uh, what was it? Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom. Boom. Yes, Sonic Boom yeah. in Madison, Wisconsin. And we were hauling ass overnight, and it was foggy. You couldn't see anything, and all of a sudden, like I'm laying in my bunk. Um, my brother's in the bunk next to me. We're awake for some reason or almost asleep. And all of a sudden the bus goes boom like that and gets thunk and hits something. And my brother and I, I don't know why we knew this, but we both leaned up and go, that wasn't a deer. And we walked up to the front and the bus driver is like pale white and he's still hauling ass down the highway. He goes, I think it just hit a person. And, and my brother goes, fuck it, it's all over. Everything's done. <laughs> Pull the bus over. Everyone go get jobs. This whole thing's over. We just killed somebody. Um, so we pulled over the cops come finally like we called the 911s like I think we hit somebody that kind of thing um, and the cops came and, and they told us that um, the guy was wasted in the road and there had been about 10-15 calls that he was in the interstate you know walking around so it wasn't our fault um, it messed him up I won't go into the details he survived but it messed him up um, but they let us go and they said, it's not your fault. You know, it's his fault. You're not supposed to be on the interstate and especially drunk in, in the middle, in the of, middle of the night. Yeah. In the middle of the night, you know? So we went off and played the cops came up and took all our IDs and stuff. And Jimmy never woke up once. Yeah. The next that, day that was how I found out about it was I was so new in the band that nobody knew my full name. <laughs> uh, so I was asleep on the couch and, Sean, Marty's brother, woke me up and asked me for my middle name. And I just told him and rolled back over and went to sleep and had this thought. And I was like, Jimmy never, Jimmy never and caught the, the whole band's over. We killed somebody. Yeah. Kind of yeah I, well, I, had, I had this, I had this thought in my head, like, why do you just ask my middle name in the middle of the night? That's weird. And I just, I turned over and our sound guy was standing there and I asked him what was going on. And uh, he told me, well, yeah, we just creamed some dude on the highway. And I just went, uh, is anybody going to jail? And he went, I don't think so. And all right, just put the blanket back, back over my head and went to sleep. So it, it ended up being okay. And then the next day we went and played in front of what, 10, 15,000 people or something. Yeah, so it was about 15,000 people. Yeah, it was wild. I'm glad you're all right. And I'm glad he survived. So the, that there's a good part to that story. But that, yeah, that would have been scary. I can't imagine going through that. <laughs> it was. It was it was wild. I mean, I thought for sure. I was like, Whew. you know, you don't ever want to hurt somebody, but at the same time, you don't want to. You know, you're like, we didn't do anything wrong. We're just driving the speed limit, and some dude walks out in front of us, and our bus driver went like that, and the trailer, like the back half of the just barely tiny bit of the trailer, clipped the guy. So it was like, oh shit, going seventy miles an hour was like that's not good. Um, but he ended up being okay. So. It was, you know, end up being a, a, a weird, wild story instead of, you know, massive tragedy. So 
lucked out. Another wild story you guys went through is in Dallas, Texas. Uh, unfortunately, um, the, you were robbed and they took between $20,000 worth of gear. How do you know all this? <laughs> I did my research. Is this on the internet? Yeah. In the yeah. That, that one is. We just got off tour of Mudvayne um, and we finally, like we were in a van and trailer and it was a, God, it was a two month tour. And the last, after we played the last show, it's like finally we had enough money to get a hotel room. So, so everybody just bolted out of the van into the hotel. We've been sleeping in the van for two months. Um, and it wasn't two hours after we, were, you know, everybody left the van that something happened and we walked outside and everything was gone. So it was, it was a harsh lesson in um, never take your eye off the, off the trailer because people, people trying to get in, <laughs> people trying to take your shit. You were never caught? No. No, all of it was gone. I lost uh, one of my favorite guitars, like a guitar that my guy gave me when I was younger. All kinds of shit. Clothes, everything was gone. And, I mean, you know, whatever. We survived. We bounced back. Um, we got new stuff, and then we learned to sleep in the trailer with one eye open. <laughs> you played a lot of benefit shows to raise money. What is it? But you played a lot of benefit shows to raise money. Um, not really. We, I forget what happened with that, but we have since played a lot of benefit shows to raise money for other people because we've been in that situation where you're totally fucked and it's, it's a bad situation. So if we can help and we have the time, we'll do it. It's a helpless feeling. Yeah, for sure. But I'm glad that's another incident. You all survived and you moved on. So Boba Flix was playing. You guys were doing very well. What happened? where the band decided to call, but I know why the band decided to call Chris, but something happened with the record label and uh, you had to, uh, you lost all the rights to your songs. What happened there? Oh my God. I don't, don't mean this to be a downer interview. I just want to go through all the... <laughs> We're not allowed to talk. We're actually not allowed to talk about that. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. But right. what, no happened, problem. What, what happened was we, uh, we, we just come out on the other side somehow. I don't know how that happened. But um, a bunch of crazy shit happened, and all of a sudden, we're independent and we're screwed. And then we wrote Barry Make My Guns On, we hit the radio, and then everything changed back in our favor. It was a good thing. Well, then tell me that, about BFX Records. That's what we said. We'll just start that record label. And, and, and what will happen is, if, you know, if something bad happens, we won't go bankrupt and we won't drop ourselves. So we've, we've got our own backs um, and it worked really well. You know, there was a lot of ups and downs running your own record label and, and being your own support, that kind of thing. Um, but we got lucky enough that we had some, some pretty big momentum to, to be able to coast on for a little while. I'm glad. Is it, were you ever offered a major deal from a major label? At, yeah, oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. Yeah. We turned, we turned several of them down because just didn't know what was happening with the industry the industry was so fucked at that time it was like they could they could all be fucked you know the, the whole thing could come down nothing against the major labels or nothing like that but it's like yeah. with streaming and all that stuff was all started to happen all that time so it was like this whole model could go away it didn't i mean it went away as we, as you know as we knew it but you know some people survived. beyond repair yeah yeah some people survived so it was like, but we were just scared to, to go down that road again. Like the label that we were on crashed and burned and, and it was a pretty big label. So in order to get out of that legally, it was a nightmare. So we just didn't feel like we could survive that again. So we just stayed independent. And there was really great things about that. Uh, and there was really, you know, black sheep at the family things about that. But in the end, we got to keep all our records and people are still listening to them. So in your face. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great thing. Plus, do you feel you have more creative freedom with your own label? We don't have to worry about saying, well, we don't like this. This is how we want it to sound. <laughs> oh, we had nothing but creative freedom. Oh, really? We just, okay. We did some wild shit on our own label. <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, I can't believe we put that song out. But it was cool <laughs> at the time. And yeah, I'm very happy about it. It was, a, it was a blast and jimmy got to jimmy was a part of a lot of that yeah um, yeah the, the 
BFX Records era was when I joined. Uh, so I never knew anything but creative freedom. Oh. <laughs> you you just coast through everything. You're falling asleep while you're hitting people. You're <laughs> yeah, you know, life is life is pretty good for you, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, I found uh, I found strutting with your eyes closed to be a good strategy for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> it's a lot less stressful when you're not worried about anything. I love it. Uh, his his posi position has changed since he's uh, been in the lonely ones. It's yeah. You know, 730 in the morning, phone calls and coffee all day long between the two of us. So you definitely don't get to strut through it anymore. No, no. no. Well, you guys were touring constantly. You're 100 plus shows per year and you played all the lower 48 states. Yeah. Yes. Always on yeah. the road. But I, uh, I actually just crossed off uh, Vermont off my list. That was the last one I'd never been to. And that was a couple months ago. I finally got to go I to Vermont. Never been to Hawaii or Alaska. Yes, now it's the same for me as yeah. of like last November, October. Yeah, I'm dying to play um, Hawaii. Not so much Alaska. I'm going to go there, but... Oh, I want to play Alaska bad. I'd rather go to Hawaii myself. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Marty. I love yeah. the heat and I love to play in Hawaii. You're just to go the to Hawaii. We've never, played, we've never played the Keys, so I'm dying to go play the Florida Keys. Yeah, that'd be cool too. Have you ever been in the uh, Connecticut area? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we play? uh, we played. What's the big spot in um, what's that spot we played with Il Nino, Marty, on that tour where uh, I'm not gonna say any names, but uh, somebody hung the trailer up on that pole. Uh, was that Hartford? Yeah, it was the, probably the Meadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, what's the big venue in Hartford? Um, right on the, the Meadows. No, it's got the weird turn. Um, what is it? The uh, Hartford shit. I don't know. It might not have been Hartford. It might have been a different city. And no, it was Hartford. It was, was Hartford. It Hartford? Yeah, we was taking that turn. It was uh, was it something. Shit, what is it? You was, know, was it, it was it an outdoor theater? No, uh, it was a big brick building, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah, like a huge brick building. Yeah, I've probably I, been there before. I can't think of what it is. Yeah, but I know there's, there's the Civic Center, there's the Meadows, and down the street there's the Oakdale, but that's in Wallingford. But. but no. I've, man, it's like I said, man, I've played close to a thousand shows. I've, they're, they're starting to blur together a little bit. I've, I've fought that for a long time, but I remember what the building looked like. I remember the inside. Um, I trust Marty that it was Hartford, but I can't, I personally don't even recall that. And, it but was. it's been probably two, probably three or four years since we've been in Connecticut, right? Yeah. It's been a minute. Um, yeah, what the shit is it called? I can see the building. There's, there's two stages. There's one on the ends, the yeah. big ones, and then the small one on the uh, shit. What yeah. Oh, well, just either way. Yes. There, was, there was a great club in West Hartford called the Agora Ballroom, but that was years ago, though. So that hasn't been open for a while. But that was probably a, that was that would have been a good one you you would have played at. But that would have been more than four years ago. But either way, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the lonely ones come up this way and uh, seeing concert. Now we talked about this because uh, you said you prefer, not that you don't prefer, but you love the large festivals, but do you play any more of the uh, club settings as much? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. As, yeah. A, as a new band, that's kind of where you make your bread and butter. That's how, yeah. that's how you survive is doing those. And then you grow through opening for larger acts, whether it be at festivals or theater shows, you know, mini arena shows, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for a band our size, you really kind of, you, you lay your head in clubs and small music halls a lot. Yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it's very personal shows right now. Um, I mean, we'll play amazing clubs and then we'll play complete and total shitholes and we enjoy every one of them. But right now we're spreading the word and letting people know because we, we get it all the time. We're like, what, are you in a new band? Something happened? What's going on? So it's like the word still hasn't spread as much as we'd like, you know, as far as, you know, we thought we'd be able to go, oh, this is an easy transition. And, and it has been a really good transition, but it's, it's definitely not, everybody doesn't know yet that we're not yeah. in Overflex anymore and we're in a new band. I forget sometimes because for, for all of us, um, you know, it's an all-encompassing 12, 14, 16 hour a day thing that we're constantly wrestling with and trying to figure out how to improve and grow and make this move before somebody else you know gets the worm whatever and i forget sometimes that 
people have kids and jobs and lives and bills to pay and aren't you know aren't plugged into exactly what we're doing all the time and and so you know two or three years can go by where they're like, oh yeah i like that song you know spider in the dark mama don't take my drugs away by boba flex or bearing my guns on or whatever uh wonder what they're up to and you know for them it seems like it went away like that but just for us it's you know a hundred percent of my life yeah i would agree with that like so we're still just building awareness and then showing people who we are um and you know the majority of people don't know yet so got a lot of work um ahead of us but i'm down for the cause definitely well the good thing is is that you made so many connections and you networked with so many people with bobaplex that you still can use those for the lonely ones i'm sure you made a lot of friends in the business and they know who you are and so that's, that's a good thing. thing. They know who you are, and they can help you get your name out, and they can put you know, play some more festivals, play some bigger, you know, clubs with some bigger bands, get a bigger audience. So it, it won't be long yeah, before the game of the only ones is out there. I think the best way we described it was we got to start at square three instead of square one. Yeah. Where there, there's a few people that will pick up the phone, you know, that would pick up the phone for us in late 2019 or early 2020 that you know, we wouldn't have gotten that benefit, you know, if we were completely starting from scratch coming out of the garage, uh, you know, so I'm constantly grateful to have that opportunity, you know, as, as slim sometimes as it feels, it's always a little bit better than it could have been. Yeah, I'd agree. The good thing is, is you always learn from past mistakes. And now you're, you're established as musicians. So you know, all the mistakes you made with Boba Flex. All right, I'm not going to do that this time. So that that's good. Yeah, we made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> we did really good stuff too, but yeah, we made some mistakes. So um, it's really easy to see those big, huge, glaring red marks and go, nope, not doing that. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's always a good thing. It's like starting on third base is a good thing with this band. Now, every band has their spinal tap moment. For you, I want to talk about your experience at the Pot Festival in Seattle. Oh, God. <laughs> sure. uh, we almost ran somebody over that day on purpose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we pull into park, these guys, these stoned out dudes. And I, I've got nothing against marijuana. I'm, you know, I'm smoked, you know, buildings full of it. Um, but we pull up. I don't think you should be high as hell at nine o'clock in the morning when you're trying to run a festival. Um, I got a little bit of principle to me. Um, so we pull up like, I don't know, 11 o'clock in the morning and these two dudes are higher than hell. And they're like, pull over here. You park right there. You guys have been fine all day. Then as soon as we pull in, other people come up higher than hell and say, you can't park here. You can't park here. So this goes on for hours. Then they tell us the stage is over here. We need you to load your gear. And we have a shitload of gear. So we didn't really realize until we started pushing the stuff that it was over a mile away. Would you say it was a mile away, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, I would. It was yeah, about so a 15, 20 minute walk. So, you know, 20 or I don't know how many thousand pounds of gear we have to push because the stone dudes aren't helping us. And so we're on our own. So we're pushing all our gear, tons of gear, each piece a mile away to the stage that also blows and doesn't have a, a, a comparable PA system or anything like that. We get there, finally get all our stuff set up. We're getting ready to go on. Cops come up and go, we're getting ready to tow your vehicle right as we're getting ready to walk on stage. And all we, we just called the bluff. We said, fuck it, tow it. Fuck it, we're gonna play, tow, tow the fucking vehicle. Yeah. Uh, so then we go on stage and it's not our crowd. We're a little heavier than people would like and, and people are just hammered high. Just I think they were looking hear. at us. It was, yeah. like they were, it was like they were watching grass grow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think they, yeah, they wanted to hear, you know, some reggae shit or something. I don't know what yeah. they wanted to hear. Yeah, but so it was god awful. And then when it was time to the show was over, like let's get the fuck out of here. We're supposed to play two nights in a row. Um, yeah, we as we leave, never answered the phone on the second one. Yeah, as we're leaving, um, we're like we're pulling our bus up. Our gear's a mile away. We'll pull right up. We'll throw it in the trailer. We'll be out of here before you even know it. Um, a couple guys threw big fits and stood in front of our bus like it was Tiananmen Square and shit. And we obliged them and just drove right through them. And then he called the we, didn't hit we, did, we, we didn't hit anybody. No, we didn't hit anybody, but we like, get out of the way, you didn't hit. Um, so we put all our gear on the trailer. Um, we pulled up to the stage a mile away, put all our gear on the trailer, 
cops are cussing us, people at the festival are cussing us. Well, it's it's, it's god awful experience. Put our shit on the trailer. Next, we're like, we're not going back. And then the next morning, the festival call goes, you guys are coming back, right? You got it, you're playing tonight, right? He's like, absolutely not. So then they shit talked us and hated on us and said we were the hardest band to work with. And, and those guys sucked and they tried to kill hip. I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> Never going right, well, you know what? Let's let's talk about your some of your favorite shows. Do either of you have a favorite festival, favorite small club experience? Rock on the range. Rock on the range, one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. 20,000 people. Flash was on one stage where you're on the other. Um, it was outrageous. There were so many people there. Um, it's one of the biggest festivals. It was one of the biggest festivals in the United States. And it was in our hometown in Columbus, Ohio. And we played, and it was insanity. Um, it was, my parents were there. Um, God, it was people falling over the barricade and shit. It was, it was outrageous. And that festival's only gotten bigger and bigger and sold out 70,000 a year, three nights in a row every every year. Um, so to me, Rock and Range is one of the, like the crowning moments of my career. What about you, Jimmy? Man, I've done a lot of like huge shows and, you know, stuff close to that size. The shows we did with Seven Dust back in December were, I think, the two my two favorite shows we've ever played. Uh, and, and for the lonely ones, the biggest opportunities we had thus yeah. far. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. It was just, man, it was like, it was, everybody was, everybody was super hospitable. Uh, the crowd, it was like, like you couldn't have picked a better crowd for us to come out with, or, you know, to come out to with no preconceived notion. None of these people knew who we were. And, you know, like I said earlier, we were talking about performance. There's a lot of, you know, psychology where you got to make somebody like you. And I just felt like the whole band was on all cylinders. People were like foaming at the mouth how much they loved it. And yeah. Yeah. it was just, I, you know, it, it was not the, you know, not even close to the biggest shows we played. It was big shows, but it was just perfect. It just felt like everything worked, you know what I mean? Which is rare that everything yeah. goes perfectly. I would say it was the best cold open. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. We, <laughs> Nope, you know, it was in two places where nobody knew anything about us. We were, you know, for as far as that crowd knew, we were just some douchebags that, you know, lived down the street. They didn't know we were a thousand miles from home, didn't know nothing about it. Um, and yeah, we just, you know, held them at figurative gunpoint and made them love the show. And they did. Oh, we yeah. just were all in. And then um, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, we're on signed to Imagine Records and Morgan Rose, yeah. the drummer for Seven Dust, is the guy that signed us. Um, he was an AR guy. So just being able to play with Seven Dust and, and having him come up after the show, before the show, and be like, hey guys, it's good to see y'all. And, and then after the show, everybody in Seven Dust coming up and talking and stuff. It's just one of those moments where you felt like you belonged and, and felt like, you know, you did your job and you did it well. I'm very happy for you. Congratulations to you and the band. And thank you very much for being on this show. It was great having you. I'm looking forward to many more releases from you, seeing you in tour. And I know the tour starts two days right now. It's um, April 5th. So on the 7th, you're going on tour. How long is this tour going to be? Uh, it's going to be like 15 shows over the course of uh, the next three weeks, three and a half weeks. So there will be a couple days where we're back home um because it's all not too far from home but yeah we'll be out for the better part of the next three weeks yeah so besides the tour what's next and where can people find you um we are you know wherever you get your music it's really quicker for me to just say that than to give you the the real list if you're looking for something specific you know like we were talking about merchandise um you can go to the lonely ones.net uh .net was way cheaper than .com, which is hilarious to me. I think that's cool. We have a .net website. Um, the LonelyOnes.net slash store, that's where you can get all our merchandise. The LonelyOnes.net slash shows, that's where you can go check out all of our upcoming concerts. Um, wherever you get your music, that's where we are. You know, in this day and age, everything is everywhere. Um, social media, you, you know, take your pick. We're on there. I'm on there acting like a fool, telling dumb jokes or whatever every day. Uh, and talking about the band to it so it's marty he uh he and i do a lot of the social media um yeah, but yeah you know wherever you go yeah. you're asking questions on social media it's either me or jimmy so yeah all right 
Well, I appreciate once again having you both on the show. Love to have you back again sometime soon. Good luck on the tour. Thank you, buddy. All right. Have a great night. That wraps up the latest episode of The Claws Corner. A huge thank you goes out to guitarist and vocalist Marty McCoy and bass and vocalist Jimmy Talland of The Lonely Ones for being on the show. I would also like to thank John Bristol of Elmwood Productions for always doing a superb job editing the show and making it available each and every week. I would also like to thank Shauna for setting up this interview and getting this band on the show. Thank you very much for everything you've done for me. And last, but definitely not least, I'd like to thank you, the viewer, for tuning in every day. Enjoy your day, everyone. Some kids were found here a few years ago, all dead.